Today I will be reading Matthew 6, 7 to 15. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done as earth as it is on heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For your, for if you forgive others your, their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Thank you, James, for reading today's passage. In Matthew 6, Jesus says, When you pray, go to the secret place, to the quiet place, and, and sit with the Father. The Father invites us to be with him and pray with an awareness of who he is. This invitation from the Father to intimate conversation is the basis and inspiration for prayer. I believe every Christian father and mother would want their son or daughter to know their Father in heaven in this way. In January 2004, I was traveling to Kenya with our oldest daughter, Ashley, I had been invited to a gathering in Nairobi, and my daughter had always wanted to go to Africa. We had dreamed of doing a father-daughter trip for her 15th birthday. My father had graciously offered to pay for Ashley's trip. I was praying that God would reveal himself to her in a special way on the trip. Everything seemed to be going according to plan. On the day of the trip, just after New Year's, we arrived at the international airport in Sao Paulo and went to check-in. We had our Canadian passports in hand, but when the airline personnel realized that Ashley was Brazilian, they asked for her Brazilian passport, and it had just expired. Ashley would not be permitted to travel without a valid Brazilian passport. We would have to reschedule our flight. The only problem was that there was only one airline, South African Airways, flying between Sao Paulo and Johannesburg. And all flights were booked with waiting lists through the end of the month of January. So we prayed. We renewed Ashley's Brazilian passport and chose our day to fly. On the morning of that day, when I talked to airline personnel by phone, the person who spoke to me didn't want to put us on the waiting list. But when I insisted, she reluctantly obliged and put our names on the waiting list, adding, you are the last people on the waiting list. You will definitely not get on this flight. We prayed again. When we arrived at the airport four hours prior to the flight, we were confronted with a long lineup. The first person that assisted us, before we even entered the line, authoritatively said, come back in three hours from now. 
The flight is completely full, and we won't even look at the waiting list today. Actually, you should go home. I knew the airline office was behind the check-in counter. So I walked around the crowds and went down the hall to their office. I explained our case. The receptionist didn't want to open her computer. I insisted. So she opened her program and exclaimed, But you're already confirmed. I don't understand it. You are confirmed. We said, Exactly. We prayed. When Ashley and I sat down at our gate, waiting for our flight, Ashley turned to me and said, I knew this would happen. I asked her how she had known. Well, Dad, last night as I was praying, God spoke to me through Isaiah 64, verses 3 and 4. When you did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down. The mountains quaked at your presence. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. I knew God would do something for us. I'm not the greatest father. Sometimes I fail to provide what my daughter needs, like an up-to-date passport. But our Father in heaven is amazing. He is the ideal father. He acts on behalf of his children. He makes room on a flight. Jesus reveals to his disciples that his father wants to have relationship with them. How should they pray then? In Matthew 6, Jesus prefaces what has become known as the Lord's Prayer with these words. Chapter 6, verse 7. And when you pray... Do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Prayer, of course, is not unique to the Christian faith. People from different religions, ethnicities, and cultures around the world make their requests known to the spiritual realm. Prayer, however has two possible foundations. One foundation would be our ability to manipulate the spiritual realm in our favor. Many believe that they need to work to get God's attention, usually through an offering or a sacrifice or the repetition of a set prayer or phrase, which represents the right magical formula or incantation. As Jesus says in verse 7, They heap up empty phrases. They babble. The problem is not the repetition per se. For example, the persistent widow was praised by Jesus. But it's the the mindless, mechanical exercise in the attempt to earn favor with the volume of words. Sometimes people will even repeat the Lord's Prayer in an attempt to earn God's favor. This kind of praying is actually negotiation, a twisting of God's arm, driven by fear and anxiety. The disciples' prayer is not a superstitious attempt to manipulate the Father. It is not a superstitious attempt to manipulate the Father. What then is the foundation for prayer for a disciple of Jesus? In verse 8, Jesus says, Your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. 
You have a good father who is present. He is not ignorant. You don't need to instruct him. He is not aloof or distant. You don't need to persuade him. The father follows your life and listens attentively to your prayers because of who he is and who you are to him. You are family. You are a son. You are a daughter. So the disciple's prayer is an intimate conversation with our father who loves us. An intimate conversation with our father who loves us. Our father's attentive presence, goodness, and power are the foundation for our prayers. According to Luke 11, the father finds joy in responding to requests. He loves to give good gifts to his children, especially the best gift, the Holy Spirit. Now, if God already knows what we need, how should we then pray? Jesus says in verse 9, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then some ancient manuscripts add, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Although not in the best manuscripts, this doxology is certainly biblical. One needs only go to 1 Chronicles chapter 29 or Revelation 4, 5, 19. It's good to pray these closing words. This prayer has come to be known as the Lord's Prayer, but it is actually the disciples' prayer. Jesus provides his disciples with a framework for their prayers a beginning invocation or address, and then six petitions that give proper priorities. The first three requests focus on God's glory, His agenda. The following three requests focus on our personal needs. Now, the order is important. We are to pray for our own needs in light of God's agenda, His priorities. Jesus begins with our Father in heaven. He could have started with sovereign ruler or our creator. In fact, the overwhelming tendency in Jewish circles was to use titles like creator, sovereign, or Lord. But Jesus chooses our Father. Our Father conveys authority, warmth, and intimacy. It communicates personal, loving, protective care. The word would have been Abba in Aramaic the everyday language of Jesus. Jewish children and adults use this name for their earthly fathers. Jesus, as the Son of God, opens up a whole new way of relating to God. His disciples are invited into the kind of intimacy that he, Jesus, the Son, experiences with God, the Father. A relationship that is alive and full. John, a disciple of Jesus, later writes, See what kind of love the Father has given to us? That we should be called children of God. And so we are. And our Father is in heaven. This reminds us that He is all-powerful, ruling over all things. 
So we have this beautiful picture of a personal, loving, present father who is also transcendent and sovereign. God combines fatherly love with heavenly power. He is not only good, but awesome in power. The truth of who we are praying to changes everything. If God is disinterested, weak, absent, and silent, then we resort to meaningless babble and magical formulas, whatever seems to work. But if God is sovereign and engaged, powerful and loving, transcendent and speaking, then we pray in a completely different way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We pray, let your name be kept holy. Let your name be revered. Let your name be given the highest honor on earth as it is in heaven. Scripture provides a window into the language of angels in heaven. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Isaiah 6 verse 3. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Revelation chapter 4 verse 8. We too pray, Father, you are holy. May we, your disciples, come with humility and devotion. May we who bear your name on earth walk in holiness. May we walk before you in reverence. May we treat you with the highest honor. The disciples' prayer begins with words of adoration and love for the Father. It begins with words of adoration and love for the Father. How will God's name be hallowed on earth? The glory of God on earth is intimately tied to the next two requests. Your kingdom come and your will be done. What are we praying for when we pray this prayer? The kingdom of heaven is present to the extent that Jesus reigns in the lives of his disciples, in the lives of groups of followers, families, or churches, and in life situations and moments of history. When we pray, your kingdom come, we are praying for Jesus to reign in our lives. We do pray for the kingdom of God to come in all of its fullness, which will happen when Jesus returns in glory to establish his eternal reign. It is good and right to pray this prayer. But simultaneously, we also pray for the extension of God's kingdom in time as more and more people surrender to Christ's reign, come to know God the Father, and experience salvation, healing, and deliverance. So when we pray for God's kingdom to come, where does God most often begin? Sometimes we expect God to begin in municipal hall or the provincial legislature or the house of commons. God begins in the heart of a disciple with the person discovering who the Father is, with a person kneeling before the throne and saying, your kingdom come in my life, Lord. I surrender it all to you. As this disciple submits to Jesus' reign, he or she goes through an internal transformation that changes ways of thinking, values, priorities, and relationships. This person begins to pray, Father, your kingdom come in my home. Father, your kingdom come in my church family. Father, your kingdom come in my city. Father, your kingdom come where I work. 
As we pray, your kingdom come, we are asking that our kingdoms be shaken and that God's unshakable, eternal kingdom be established in our personal lives, our families, and churches. Our prayers rise before the throne of God as incense, and when they return, they shake the earth. Read Acts 4, Revelation 8. About 15 years ago, a group of Canadians made a visit to a small city in North India, nestled in the foothills of the Himalayan mountains. There they worshipped with a congregation of first-generation followers of Jesus. Their small building was jammed with disciples sitting on the floor, standing along the walls, overflowing into the courtyard outside. The worship was alive. An atmosphere of reverence was evident when the word of God was opened. It had not always been this way. The pastor couple, both husband and wife, were medical doctors. Twenty years earlier, they had come to this unevangelized city with the intention of planting a church. Their medical profession was their entry point into the community. Twenty years came and went with very little fruit. Some people had responded to the gospel initially and then returned to their Hindu and Buddhist practices. After two decades, they were ready to pack up their church planting dreams and go home. Until an unsolicited mission team arrived in their village with only one intention, to settle into the community and to pray to the Father for his kingdom to come. The group rented a home on a hillside overlooking the village, and for 12 months did nothing more than pray faithfully over this small city. They played soccer with the children, made friends in the marketplace, ate and slept and prayed. After a year, the team packed up their few belongings and left. In the coming months, the spiritual floodgates opened. People who had long rejected the gospel were now hungry to hear the good news. Dozens, then scores, then hundreds were saved and baptized and added to the church. It was a miracle, an awakening, the kingdom coming to their small city. The pastor couple believed it to be the fruit of prayer. Could this happen in our homes, in our churches, in our schools, in our communities, if we united in prayer and prayed the disciples' prayer? Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Father, may your kingdom agenda be fulfilled in our story. May your will be done because your will, Father, is the best thing that could happen to any one of us. God's will is, as Paul writes, good, pleasing, and perfect. Could it happen with us? In our world, it is so easy to become fixated on our little name, our little empire, and our little will. We can even tie the coming of God's kingdom to a political leader or ideology. When we come before our Father in heaven in prayer, as Jesus Jesus taught us to pray, however, we are redirected to honor God's name, focus on His kingdom, and to do His will. The disciples' prayer is a request for the Father's loving agenda to be done. 
for the Father's loving agenda to be done. Sincerely praying the disciples' prayer changes us profoundly. When we are aware of our Father's love, sovereignty, holiness, lordship, and power, we come before him presenting our needs in a completely different manner, with humility, devotion, and confidence. Verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. The sense is, the bread that we need, give us today, day after day. Many first century laborers were paid day by day. They lived a fragile hand-to-mouth reality. An illness could spell tragedy. In the disciples' prayer, bread symbolizes all that we need to live. Food and health, clothing, a place to sleep, work. And note, it's a community prayer. Give us. It is a prayer for God's people to receive the Father's provision. Edward Schweitzer paraphrased this request in this way. Grant that we may lie down to sleep, not with a sense of abundance or surety against hard times, but simply without despair, knowing that the coming day has been provided for. Here's a 2020 story from Lisbon. Lucena had always been full of life, passion, and love for Jesus, until something happened that caused her to be filled with agony and tears. Lucena's husband, of over 20 years, suddenly abandoned her and her teenage children. She was devastated, humiliated. She struggled with anger and came before God, begging him to supply her with work and provide for her and her children. Lucena hung on to God's promises, but her financial situation continued to worsen. Her church helped her as much as possible, but many people in her church family were struggling to make ends meet. At a very low point one morning, Lucena looked in the refrigerator and did not see one single thing for her and her family to eat. Oh God, she cried, not even one egg! That afternoon, She went to God in prayer, alone, in her secret place, clinging to the Father's goodness and His promises to take care of her. She told no one of her desperate need that day, only her Father in heaven. Later that afternoon, the doorbell rang. It was a couple who attended her church. We felt God prompting us to come over to see you today, they explained. Standing in the doorway, with a big basket full of food. I hope you can use this, they said. Lucena was shocked at how quickly God had answered her prayers and was overcome with gratitude. As she reached out to take the overfull basket, the husband cautioned her, Be careful with the eggs, Lucena. She almost laughed out loud. No one but God the Father had heard her complaint that morning. Her Father in heaven had once again proved His faithfulness. The disciples' prayer is an opportunity to walk in the Father's provision. It's an opportunity to walk in the Father's provision. As children of God, when we pray, give us this day our daily bread, we acknowledge our ultimate dependence on the Father. We have tangible needs every day, but we pray without anxiety and fear. Because we have a good father. 
And every day is his day. And then Jesus turns to our needs in the realm of relationships. Verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Forgiveness is as indispensable to the health of our souls as bread is to the body. The word forgive here means to cancel or let go. We say, cancel what we owe, Father, as we have canceled the debts of those who owe us. Imagine the Father forgiving the way we do sometimes. Give me time to think about it. I just need some time. This time you went too far. I'm not sure. You know, I actually have a reason to be offended and to harbor a grievance for a while. In in the Greek and Roman worlds, the record of debt was a written note of indebtedness. Because of our sin, our falling short, missing the mark, our self-worship, each of us has a record of indebtedness to God. God mercifully took our record of debt, the list of our crimes, and nailed it to the cross when Jesus died on our behalf. Listen to Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. We who are disciples of Jesus, when we responded to the Father's offer of forgiveness through Jesus, when we understood that the Father's Son, Jesus, had died for us, and we placed our trust in his payment for our sin, We received forgiveness of sin. We were cleansed. We were justified before the Father. We were reconciled with the Father. We were made alive by the Spirit. We became sons and daughters. The disciples' prayer is an opportunity to walk in the Father's forgiveness. It's an opportunity to walk in the Father's forgiveness. Anyone who understands what Jesus has done for them prays, Our Father, and forgives. They pray, May your name be kept holy in my life. May you forgive as I have forgiven. John Stott comments, God forgives only the penitent. penitent. And one of the chief evidences of true penitence is a forgiving spirit. Once our eyes have been opened to see the enormity of our offense against God, The injuries which others have done to us appear by comparison extremely trifling. If, on the other hand, we have an exaggerated view of the offenses of others, it proves that we have minimized our own. Peter, he comes to Jesus in Matthew 18 and asks, How often do I cancel the debt of a person who sins against me? As many as seven times? Sounds generous. Jesus tells this story. The kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who wants to settle accounts with his servants. One of his servants owes him 200,000 years of work. In other words, he would never be able to pay his debt. Since he can't pay, 
the king orders that he and his family be sold into slavery and that all of his belongings be sold. The servant falls on his knees and pleads with the king, have patience with me, have mercy on me. The king is moved with compassion and cancels his debt, frees him. Now, that same servant then goes out and meets a fellow servant who owes him 100 days of work. He grabs him and begins to choke him. Pay what you owe, he demands. The fellow servant pleads with him, have patience with me, have mercy on me. He refuses to cancel the debt and puts him in prison until the debt should be paid. An impossible situation. The forgiven servant is reported to the king. So the king summons him and says, You wicked servant, I canceled your entire debt, 200,000 years of labor, and you were unable to cancel the debt of a brother who owed you 100 days of work? It's hard for us to hear, right? But that is who we are when we don't forgive those who have wronged us. That's exactly who we are. Right after sharing the model prayer in Matthew chapter 6, just in case the disciples did not understand, Jesus adds these words, Matthew 6 verses 14 and 15, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Why does Jesus spend so much time on forgiveness in this prayer? First, prayer is about relationship with the Father. If we don't forgive, our relationship with the Father is hindered. Second, forgiveness is indispensable for the health of our souls. Without forgiveness, we are overcome by bitterness and our hearts grow cold. Third, we forgive because we have been enabled to cancel the debts of others through our personal experience of God's grace. We are justified, forgiven. The Spirit of God now abides in us and enables us to forgive. And a fourth reason is evident in the last request of the disciples' prayer. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The Father never tempts us directly, but He will allow us to go through times of testing in order to refine us and strengthen us. The Father knows we will face trials and temptations in the areas of provision, relationships, and protection. The good news is that the Father wants to deliver us. The disciples' prayer is an opportunity to walk in the Father's victory. It's an opportunity to walk in the Father's victory. When we fail to cancel the debts of others, we give a secure foothold to the evil one in our souls. It's in Ephesians 5. And our prayers to the Father are rendered ineffective. That's why we're encouraged to confess our sins to one another when we pray for healing. James chapter 5, verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. That's why in relation to husband-wife relationships, Peter writes, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way 
showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Sometimes I pray, Lord, my wife is so difficult. How many times should I forgive her? And the Lord says, she is not nearly as difficult as the husband I gave her. And I am humbled. I remember that the debt I could never pay has been paid by Jesus, nailed to the cross. Who am I to not forgive my wife? When we pray, deliver us from evil, we acknowledge that we need God's help to rescue us from our evil inclinations, the evil influence of our society, and the attacks of the evil one, Satan, who wants to destroy our relationships and devour our souls. We are engaged in a spiritual battle, but in Jesus, we can walk in the Father's victory. Hallelujah. The disciples' prayer is not a superstitious attempt to manipulate the Father. It is an intimate conversation with our Father who loves us. It begins with words of adoration and love for the Father. It is a request for the Father's loving agenda to be done. It is an opportunity to walk in the Father's provision. It is an opportunity to walk in the Father's forgiveness. It is an opportunity to walk in the Father's victory. I'm going to leave you with some questions for reflection. But before, before we post them, let's pray the disciples' prayer together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. God bless.